how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. A self-described theater brat, Tara Mill realized there was a storyteller behind her favorite films when a friend invited her to come watch a series of student films. She grew up a blue-collar kid in Long Island and never assumed there was a job that anyone could do. At the event, however, she said it was like somebody pulled back the curtain on Oz and she knew she wanted to be a filmmaker. Twenty years later, she's taken a movie to Sundance. Her latest film stars Sienna Miller and Diego Luna in Wonder Darkly. According to the description, new parents, Adrian and Matteo, are forced to reckon with trauma amidst their troubled relationship. They must revisit the memories of their past and unravel haunting truths in order to face their uncertain future. But this movie is a little bit more complicated than that. In this interview, Mill talks about how Sienna Miller has the ability to be a chameleon-like actress, what it means to work with nurturing creative partners, how her circular process works, why creatives need to make time for their heart, and what it means to have integrity as an artist. You can also find the print version of this interview on Creative Screenwriting's website. I, I was like a theater brat from the time I was very young. Um, my mom took me to see Annie on Broadway when I was about three. And I think I said, I want to be up there. And so I ended up doing a lot of community theater. We lived um, north of Los Angeles. And I did, I got my first job was as an assistant director to the plays that the little kids were doing when I was about 14 and they were all like under 10. So um, I started in theater and then I went to um, school up at UC Santa Barbara and was feeling sort of lost, was feeling like acting and theater wasn't kind of doing what I needed it to do for whatever reason. And a friend of mine dragged me to a student film screening and I remember sitting in the back of this theater, the Isla Vista Theater at uh, Santa Barbara, and just watching these like flickering images up there. It was like, you know, maybe 16 millimeter, but rough cuts. You could really see the splice tape and everything. And 
I, it was like the first time I understood that somebody made that, that somebody actually was behind the, the storytelling of film. You know, I grew up like a really blue collar kid in Long Island and just never assumed that that was a job that you could do. Um, but it was like someone pulled back the curtain of, you know, on Oz and I just knew I was going to be a filmmaker. So I made a student film at that point uh, at UCSB and that was sort of the beginning of that journey. What was kind of that? So after that realization, what was like literally the next step? Did you start writing more or what kind yeah. of, what kind of open after you opened your eyes up, what changed for you? Um, yeah, the first step was I marched into the film studies office on Monday morning and I said, I want to make one of those movies. And they said, well, you have to be a film major. <laughs> I said, okay, sign me up. Um, and so I, um, I was lucky enough the film adv advisor there sort of helped me connect the senior thesis films are only four that they did every year and I was really behind. And so he really helped me connect with the film professor there who, um, you know, advised me in a smart way. And I ended up doing one of those four student films by my senior year, a year later. So that film actually went to Slamdance uh, and premiered in 2000. So taking a film to Sundance this year after 20 years uh, on the journey was really uh, a really special thing for me, really meaningful. And your new film is still very abstract. How, what do you kind of think about balancing, you know, the structured approach to filmmaking versus the creative approach? How do you kind of balance the two things? You know, it's interesting. I think in the writing process, structure tends to, to sort of stifle me a little bit, I would say. So I have to sort of like uh, lean into it and then lean out of it and then lean into it and lean out of it. Um, Maybe my even my process is is maybe a little bit more circular than than a, a true linear process where I'm like, okay, this is what happens in the beginning, and then this step and this step. I sort of have to like go back over things again and again and again and feel them out and feel out um, where powerful connections could be that maybe I wouldn't imagine if I was just trying to do it by the book. Um, but that said, I, I also I do believe that there is a really clear structure at work in Wander Darkly, even if it's not, um, you know, at, at the forefront, it's still, it's still buried in there with a low point and a climax. And, um, you know, it, it has all, it does hit the points, you know, it's uh, still doing that structure work, which I think is, is important for storytelling. Are there any logistical changes you do like as a writer director to separate the creativity versus the structure? Like, do you change from, I don't know, even like printing out the page or storyboarding, like how do you kind of see the, the two minds differentiate? I think I, I, well, the biggest thing is I really try not to critique as I go. You know, I, I do um, once I have a real um, free flowing brainstorm process that I do either on paper with pen or I write in like a document of just thoughts and it's very loose so that there is no worry about where would it go and how would it work and what would it be? It's just lots of ideas that I can always kind of come back to as a bank of, oh yeah, I thought that was gonna be a really lovely moment. That really could work in this other place. Um, and then for Wander Darkly uh, in particular, I think I wrote a one page of what I thought the, the big brushstrokes were and then had to do like um, post-it notes to sort of get all the beats out the way that I wanted to. Um, but then once I write, I think the biggest thing really is just not stopping. Um, I have like a post-it on my desk that says, keep going, you're doing great. Because I think if you stop, it's, uh, that's the worst. That's just, that's the hell, you know? Um, 
you get through the draft and then you can rewrite it all, you know, not being too precious about it. You can always change it. Um, so you're not shooting it, you're just writing it, which I think is a really important thing to keep, keep clear in your head. You've got a few films you've, you've made now. What kind of lets you know that an idea is, is right to pursue? Do you, do you ask for others' opinions? Is it just is it something that you carry with you? Like, how do you know, you know, this is your next, pro- next project? Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. Most of the work that I've done up till this point is really more gun for hire. I mean, I would say Wander Darkly is really like the first thing that feels very much like my heart. Um, but in answer to your question, I I have a real like 3 a.m. instinct like uh, thing that I'll, I'll just wake up hot with an idea and be like, oh, that's the next one. Um, and it's, it's really clear to me, like um, just from that subconscious place that's just like a really nice gift that's delivered. But then after that point, I don't really second guess it because it's come in such a clear way that that's the right thing to do. Um, so, yeah. And then I do, you know, look, I think with this one in particular, um, I had pitched the idea to Lynette Howell, who um, I've wanted to work with for a really long time and is so talented. And and she was really the one that said, go spec it, like, just go write it. Um, and I think for a writer, that is such a huge, like, upheaval to be like, okay, I'm going to develop this and spend months of that sweat equity to hope that it goes. Um, but having her sort of give me a little fuel for that fire was, was very helpful. And I, and we have a really wonderful trusting relationship. And so that's, that is uh, someone that I, I kick things to and kind of get a sense of not just, uh, do I think it's the next one, but can the marketplace <laughs> hold this? Am I crazy to go do this? What was the original idea for this without, without giving too much of the plot away? Like what kind of, what was maybe your pitch or something like that that, you, that got you started? Yeah, well, I did pitch it with the giving too much of the plot away. I think my first pitch was like a, a quick two sentence that gave the entire thing. Um, and I don't want to share it because I don't want anyone listening to to know, you know, going in what they're up, up for. But um, I knew that I wanted to, I think what I would have said to her without giving that bit away was that there's a couple who's sort of on the verge of breaking up and they get into this car crash. And in the aftermath, Um, the woman thinks she's dead and her partner has to tell her their story in order to sort of make sense of her head and to like help her put the pieces back together and make sense of truth from fiction. Um, And in their negotiation of the past, they fall back in love. That was, that would have been probably the the gist of that. Did you have, so this is, you kind of mentioned the first one that was maybe the most personal to you. Was that, did that add any extra difficulties in terms of like editing or, you know, rewriting, things like that? Um, It certainly made production uh, harder than I think it normally would have been. You know, if, if you're directing a scene that, you know, is about superheroes or (laughs) about something that's not quite your heart and your life, um, it's easy to say, oh, I don't know, that doesn't make sense, or that would never happen, or it's not working, like, let's throw it out, let's, you know, like, this thing, we can cut this, cut that, or change it all, um, but when it is so personal, I did find it harder to sort of give myself the objective distance that, that might have been nice, and, and that said, you know, um, I think Sienna and I were so close throughout the production, and, and working so closely, and Diego as well, um, that, there was this constant dialogue about all of our personal lives in order to make it as real as possible. So um, it was probably for the best, even though, yes, it made it, it made it quite 
quite emotionally difficult to to manage but it's also quite cathartic you know it's like um my husband and I survived this car crash and I spent years making this movie about it and I think now I'm healed and I'm truly like you know able to move on and he's fine by the way in case (laughs) he's doing great we're both fine so a lot of people and a lot of writers have told me this that a lot of novice writers will will do anything to avoid like the most most personal story. Like, do you see an added benefit of writing a spec script? Like you said, it's therapeutic. Or like, even if you might not get it made, like, do you see other benefits to, to taking the time to write this screenplay? Oh yeah, um, I absolutely do. I mean, because this script was so personal to me, and I had such a clear vision of it. You know, I was an essential element in the production. So um, it couldn't have been directed by anybody else. And especially if you're a writer who wants to direct, creating something that is so uniquely yours that the producers recognize that nobody else could ever execute it, I think that's incredibly valuable. It's really, yeah, it's a unique point of leverage to have, and especially with something creative Mm -hmm. like this. Mm You have, what other advice might you have? So you kind of mentioned this one's very personal, obviously, but some some work is maybe more hired work. Some things are stepping stones. There's all all types of work you take on. Yeah. What advice do you have for people that are you know just getting in the industry? Like they want to make their personal project, but maybe they're turning down this and that. Like how do you kind of balance all this out to know that maybe it's one for them, one for me, or whatever system might be? Like how do you kind of balance yeah. the industry going forward? You know, it's so interesting. For so long, I think as a, a director who happens to be a woman, I was so fighting just to get any job I could and took every single opportunity I could. Um, I hope that it's different for women who are just starting out now. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think it's really important to keep the momentum I think it's important that whatever you're doing, you don't act like you're slumming it, even if it's not your opus, that, you know, you do your best work all the time, um, no matter what arena you're doing it in. I think that's really important that you have integrity about what you, the way that you behave as as an artist and the way that you work. And that even when you are, you know, really busy on on whatever that work is that you're making, you know, need to make money or uh, whatever the thing is that is not your heart, it is really, really important that you make time for your heart, that you make time to do those things that are going to grow you in the long term and that are going to give you those opportunities long term. Are there any um, maybe surprise um, tips or tricks you learned working on some of the recent shows? You've, you've been a director on like Arrow or Batwoman? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's really and that's that's another thing. It's those working on those bigger budgets has been a huge uh, benefit to me, even coming into Wander Darkly to know how to use a 75 foot crane <laughs> to, uh, you know, to have the confidence to uh, direct a, a large crew. Um, gosh, some of the tricks I've learned so many. Oh, you know what? I did learn a really good one that this relates directly to Wander Darkly. I had done one or two episodes of Arrow and they do these great tricks, right? Because they're always shooting on rooftops. And so they always had Stephen Amell, right? Like to be like standing on a parapet, but it was never really the edge of a roof. And it always looked like the edge of a roof. And so I learned how to do that with like a little um, fake wall parapet, a little uh, deck that the grips could bring in. And then you can do an extension. And that's what we did for Sienna up on that rooftop scene. So yeah, we, we actually use that. <laughs> 
What was maybe the the most challenging part of of Wonder Darkly? Like, what, was there something unexpected? Uh, maybe dealing with some of the the personal aspects, or how, how did you maybe get around some of those um, difficulties or roadblocks for writing the screenplay? The most dif- the, the most difficult aspect of that was that it was really hard to walk away from the heavy emotional uh, weight of it at the end of writing. Um, and I actually have a friend in the theater who taught me a really great trick that um, when they're done with a role, they or even a rehearsal, that is really like a hard part to carry around. They always change their socks. And in changing your socks, there's this sort of meditation of coming back into yourself. You put back on your shoes and socks and you're yourself again. You're not that character. Um, but definitely there were times in writing it where it was so um, uh emotional and sad and disorienting um that that walking away from the pages after you know a session writing it was uh hard to be back in my own skin and hard to be back in with my kids and you know i think my husband remembers when i was typing one day and i called out to him like oh i can't tell you this sorry it's a spoiler i can't tell you Are there any, without, you know, without getting too personal, are there other times when sure. you, you needed to stay in an emotional state to get through a scene? Like any advice on that? Or um, do you just kind of commit to a certain amount of time in the room or a certain amount of pages with those more personal scenes? You know, I definitely wouldn't try to start an emotional scene if I was in a place where I thought, oh, my kids are going to interrupt me in five minutes. Like, I, I definitely wouldn't like just jump right into that knowing that I'm the only one home and they're not going to watch TV forever or something like that. Um, but I, you know, look, I think my interruptions mostly are from my own demons and, and my own sort of self-doubt. And, you know, like the best of writers, it, it you know, you end up like lying under your desk. I think Scott Frank, uh, I heard, has great advice for that, that like he keeps a a list of quotations from other writers, like, you know, like the first draft of anything is shit, like Ernest Hemingway, but like all taped under his desk so that when he's down there feeling like he doesn't know what he's doing, he's at least in good company. Um, so my husband actually has taped a list like that for me under my desk, which I find delightful. Um, but uh, I, I do have to listen to um, pretty loud music sometimes when I'm in that real, like when I'm actually drafting, I put on pretty loud music to, carry me through and to quiet the critics. And, and I think there have been one or two times where I've literally said, okay, everybody just has to get out of this room. Like, you know, you're thinking about your agent and your parents and your kids or I don't know, any critic that might not like what you do. And you just literally have to shut all those voices out and, and just quiet it down and, and trust your gut and, and go for it. You know? So you got a great cast for this film. How did um, Sienna Miller get involved with the project? Yeah, so funny enough, um, Diego was already on the project, um, and Sienna and he share an agent, and uh, their agent flipped the script to Sienna, and then she uh, reached out to Lynette Howell-Taylor, our producer, um, and, it, you know, I was, I was A, thrilled that she was interested, and um, I think she's such an incredible talent. She's such a chameleon. I feel like she's a real character actress in an ingenue package and she transforms herself into characters so much so that I, I think people often aren't even aware that they're watching Sienna. Um, and I, it was something that I hadn't seen her do before, you know, um, and I thought she was up to the task. We had this wonderful FaceTime um, before I, I brought her on and she was just so down for like this sort of 
indie, no makeup, uh, running gun, doing all the crazy things that, that this film asked of her. And she was like that to the end. I mean, to the very last shot, you know, we were shooting in a very cold ocean in November and everybody was done. And she was like, you need that one shot, right? And I was like, yes. And she was like, let's go, let's get it. You know, she just, she never, she was tireless, really tireless and, and just went to the mat for me emotionally every day. What sort of balance might you look for in, in your actors? Is it, I mean, obviously the commitment, the, the character, are there other elements that might be uh, some misconceptions about hiring actors or getting the right person? Oh, like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, we talked about a lot of big names for this movie and I leave it, I really do leave it to the producers to tell me, does this person work for on your end, like for whatever you need to recoup and all of that stuff. But I, you know, I think, really you're looking for a partner um, and a creative partner and an artistic partner. Um, I, I have definitely worked with actors before who are like chat, chat, chatting until the second the slate goes. And then um, they, they want to jump right in and, and do a really heavy emotional scene. And then the second the slate stops, they're like, ah, ha, ha, back to the chat. Um, and I think that's a perfectly fine way to work for certain projects and, and with certain teams. But for something like this, um, I, I just needed somebody who would nurture it and, and take care of it and not just sort of dive in and out of it. And, and I think that was probably the hardest part of this for Sienna was that she was just so in it, into this concussed state in this kind of fugue and in this disorientation for, you know, a month with us on set. And I think that was really hard for her actually. Um, and, and she just never let up on it. She just allowed it and, and stayed in it. Um, so, so yeah, it's interesting, you know, and, and by the way, I think there's, uh, there's no one way to slice it. There's no one way to slice what an actor does or, or how they get there, like, um, what kind of, uh, way they work. Um, but for this one in particular, I just knew I needed somebody to really, um, hold it and, 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 and stick with it in a, in a deep way and, and take care of it in a deep way. Were there, um, outside of the story itself and the personal aspects, were there other, maybe characters or movies you talked about with your, your team that you were going for, for the, maybe the look or fill of the movie? Yeah, we talked about an awful, an awful lot of films, actually. Um, um, I'm trying to think of which one to say first. Well, certainly um, Eternal Sunshine has, has some influence on me. It was a, a favorite film of mine. And I don't know that there's actually another film where that's as close to this in terms of how the characters are sort of talking back uh, about their experiences in the past. It was sort of how I explained to people how it would work when they were, if they were confused about the script. Um, and then also Blue Valentine and the way that that sort of paralleled um, the best of times and the worst of times of a relationship. Um, I looked at uh, Jacob's Ladder even for the way that they dealt with uh, psychological trauma and definitely um, um, oh, Terry Gilliam. And now I can't, now I'm blanking on the name of the film. I just said it this morning. Um, Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges. Oh, no, the Fisher King. Fisher King. Thank you. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing was even Diego and Sienna and I watched a little bit of it during our rehearsal process because Terry Gilliam has this ability and specifically in that film to intersect, you know, a psychological horror fantasy with a, a deep drama and, and, you know, hilarious comedy um, and, and an incredible relationship that you really care about. And I thought that those were sort of 
this similar sort of mashup that I was interested in exploring. Um, so yeah, there were quite a few, quite a few movies that we were talking about to sort of get everybody's head around this unique, <laughs> this unique project. How important is it to to kind of have those ready when you're trying to explain a, maybe a more complex film or a genre bending film? Like how much does that help sell it or um, even get people in the right mm-hmm. mood to talk about it and those kind of things? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I think it's incredibly helpful. You know, we even had a comps page in my lookbook when we were taking the film out to financiers so that people had a sense of, well, what else does it look like and what does it feel like and how, how have those films performed? Um, I get in, it's on, I'll say, honestly, I get like a little self-conscious talking about those other films because I think as a filmmaker, you want to feel like you've done your own thing (laughs) and that you haven't, you know, just sort of uh, taken bits and pieces of other people's work and, and thrown it all in a pot and tried to mix it all together. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is an incredibly helpful tool to communicate when, you know, uh, when sometimes just the words can be interpreted in so many different ways to say, remember this film, they sort of did it there. It looks a little bit like that. 